0: The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkee Town Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkettown, please visit our website at www.durkettown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N.O-R-G. In standing, and if you would take your Bibles and locate uh, Mark chapter number two. I said last week, and I know not a lot of folks were here, and maybe you didn't pick it up uh, online. I think we have uh, drifted away from the use of our Bibles in church, and I really want us to begin again to have the Bible open in front of us following along in the text. Um, It is uh, vital that you see it in your Bible. And uh, I say that because I think that when you go back, and you're trying to remember, where was that? What was that? You already kind of have an understanding of where it was in your scripture. And uh, of course, some of you using electronic phones, that's fine. I'm, I'm not a Pharisee about this. But I would encourage us, have our Bibles open and, um, and ready to read um, and follow along. Here's the sermon text for today. Mark chapter number 2, verses 1 uh, through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days it was reported like this the word of the Lord now may the Lord direct our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Jesus Christ amen please be seated I am told that in his homiletics class the uh, venerable now with the Lord Dr. R.C. Sproul would say to prospective preachers that when they come to a dramatic passage of scripture that they should preach the drama. They should preach the drama. Well, what we have before us in Mark 2 is a very, very dramatic passage. And uh, many will assume the drama is found in the four men who carried their paralyzed friend up on a rooftop, cut open the roof, and let their friend down by a rope so that he could be healed By Jesus. Others might find in this passage the drama in the words that uh, Jesus speaks to the four men. And then says to the paralytic, son, son, your sins are forgiven. You know, others might uh, be drawn into conflict. And find the drama in the conflict between Jesus and the scribes. When they accuse Jesus, at least within their hearts of committing blasphemy. But I'm here to tell you this morning, and I promise you that the drama is not found in the dust-up between the scribes and Jesus. And the drama is not found in the words that Jesus even says to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. And the drama is not certainly in the roof being cut open and the guys being let down. As exciting as that might be, uh, if you were in the room that day. The actual drama, and the drama I'm going to preach, is found in this word, in verse number two, preaching. And he was preaching the word to them. Uh, that word preach is also found, at least in its English version, and chapter number 1, verses 38 and 39. I encourage you to look at it. In verse 38, he says to them, let us go, Jesus speaking to his disciples, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And then you have the word again in chapter number 2, only the thing is they may be the same word in English but they're not the same word in its original form in the Greek language they're actually two entirely different words in chapter number one the word preaching is public proclamation what I'm doing now what I did a week ago last Sunday at Joyce Flowers funeral when I preached to the crowded room of people what I did at the uh Graveside of Rick Jarvis's cousin out at Pine View Cemetery. I preached to the public out in the open air uh, in the cemetery. And that's what Jesus was doing in chapter number one. He was going all throughout Galilee publicly proclaiming God's word. But in chapter number two, the word doesn't mean that. Instead, the word means that Jesus is sitting around a table talking to people. And that's where the drama is in this passage. And if you were to ask two people about the preaching ministry of Jesus, you could arrive at two different answers. One person might say, oh, he was the greatest preacher. I heard him out of the fields. The Sermon on the Mount, you wouldn't believe it. Man, you got to get it on CD or whatever you get it on these days now because they don't do, uh, you know, cassette tapes anymore, right? You know, and, you, like, you're... and then somebody else said, what are you talking about? Have you never sat in a room with him and listened to him talk about the Word? That's, that's the Jesus I love. That's, that's the Jesus I know. I was sitting around the table with him. And, you know, both conclusions would be right. That when Jesus, in his public ministry, proclaimed the word, he did so out loud in public venues. And he did so sitting around a table. I know it's not obvious, or at least it doesn't appear to be obvious. But the drama of this particular text is found in that word preach, which means table conversation. I know, I know we want to talk about, did the roof get repaired? That's what somebody said to me after the St. James service. Said, did you think the roof got repaired? I'm like, I, I guess. Like, it, it would have been cool if Jesus did a double healing, like paralytic, rise, get up, roof, you know, close up, be healed. You know, who, who knows, but it doesn't matter. The main event is that the fullness of deity and bodily form is sitting around a table in a crowded room of people and he's talking to them. He's having table conversation. And it's easy to run past something like this. But all of the other action taking place in that text is predicated on the fact that Jesus is sitting at the table, the Savior of the world, the one whom angels worship, the one that the Magi sought after was sitting around a table having ordinary conversation with ordinary people in a rather ordinary village. That's the drama. In his commentary on the Passage, New Testament scholar Kenneth Wiest writes this. Our Lord thus spoke to the crowd assembled in a conversational tone. The beauty of his voice, the charm of his manner, the tenderness of his love and his countenance must have come to this weary, sick group of people like a breath from heaven. Isn't that incredible? That the Savior of the world would sit around a table and talk to people. Now, of course, the miracle is fantastic. It's a fantastic miracle. But it must not overshadow the miracle worker paralyzed man is going to walk because the king has arrived. And as we saw last week, he brings with him his kingdom that heals all kinds of diseases, releases people from demonic oppression, puts lives back together. And yes, while this miracle has a really kind of cool factor to it, what Mark is really showing us is what life is like in the kingdom of God. Now and when it comes in all of its fullness. Sickness eradicated, sins forgiven. Paralyzed people who are not able to walk are made whole. They're able to walk. But with the kingdom of God comes much more than physical healing. There is a much deeper reality attached to it because Jesus came to give life and to give it in all of its abundance. This means that all who have been paralyzed in life due to sin or being sinned against will find healing. For some, it might be the paralysis that sets in due to emotional sickness. Anything from seasonal depression or just the affliction of depression in life. It might be the pain and the Hardship and heartache of broken relationships. You might be paralyzed with the inability to trust God or to trust anybody for that matter. You might be paralyzed today by greed or by envy or by jealousy or bitterness or anger. Could be that someone in the room or someone listening is paralyzed by an addiction that you have tried to get rid of, but you simply are unable to break the pattern. God promises that when His kingdom comes in all of its fullness, we will be healed and we will be healed on every single layer of our lives. There is nothing that will not be touched by the fullness of God's kingdom entering into this world and entering into the people. Who are part of his kingdom. The paralysis will be removed one day. We too will take up our beds. We will walk as people in God's new creation. As I said last week. This is the language of God's love. This is what we are to immerse ourselves in. So when we face trials. And when we face hardship. And we have disappointment. And all of the stuff of life hits us. We don't lose hope because the miracle worker is still working. That's why the, I titled this whole series of Mark, The Future Is, and then there's a blank and a question mark, and that blank is filled in with this title, Jesus Christ. The future is Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, there is no future. There's no next second There is no next hour. There is no next week. And that for all eternity will be true. And our hope must rest in him. The future is Jesus Christ. And as important as the hope of a glorious future is, we also find in this text the hope in the truth that we are being healed in this present moment Because our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. And who has the authority to forgive sins? It's the guy sitting at the table talking about the word of God. Again, that's where the drama is. Can you imagine you're sitting in that room and you're there, you've heard about Jesus, he's healing people, Oh, I see this guy, somehow you get a ticket, you get in the door, right, you know, and you're in there and you're piled in and then you find out oh, wait a second, there's something else going on. He says he can forgive sins. Now, I know for us, Christians, and a lot of us have been church our whole lives, and all we've heard our whole lives is that God forgives us our sins. And when we hear that, it doesn't, doesn't really hit us. It doesn't really hit us. But if you were a Jew sitting in that room, and you have spent your whole life going to the temple or Bring your sacrifices and being told that forgiveness comes through the sacrificial system until Messiah comes, and then suddenly somebody says, you can be, Your sins can be forgiven. I have the authority to forgive you of your sins. That's going to cause your head to jerk. That's called a worldview collision. What you have been told your entire life suddenly now is being challenged. The guy at the table is saying that he has the authority to forgive sins. Now, we need to look at this, and we need to be very deliberate as we look at it, because I want you to hear what Jesus says, and I want you to see to whom it's being said, and I want you to see why he's saying it. Verse number five, when Jesus saw their faith, that is the four guys who dropped the guy in from the roof, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now we might think that at that moment, Jesus might have just said, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But the sequence of the order of events in this miracle is incredibly important in order to understand what the purpose Jesus has in mind. He sees the faith of these four men. He says, Son... Your sins are forgiven in the room are legal experts that is scribes the law of God was their course of study and they're sitting there and they hear this and that's that worldview collision and they begin to question in their hearts verse 7 why does this man speak like that he's blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone. In verse number eight, we're told that immediately Jesus perceives this. He perceives in his spirit that they thus question with themselves. He said to them, why are you questioning these things in your heart? I would love, I would absolutely love to be able to say right now, Zebni, why are you thinking what you're thinking? Well, you know, I can't do it. Why? I don't know what Zeb Nye's thinking. I'm sure he's thinking, Pastor Ken is the most amazing preacher I've ever heard. He might also be thinking, how much longer is the guy going to go? I'm hungry. But we'll take the better one, right? We can't do that, but can you imagine you're sitting around a room and you're thinking something, and suddenly the guy at the table looks at you and goes, well, why are you thinking that? Why are you thinking that? Well, you question these things in your hearts. And then he poses a question. Well, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Now you tell me, which is easier? To say to somebody in a wheelchair, your sins are forgiven, which they don't have any evidence of, or to say to somebody in a wheelchair, get out of your wheelchair and walk. And they get up and they walk, which is easier, right? Which requires proof. Proof is required if I say, rise, take up, you know, your bed or get out of your wheelchair and walk. And then if he doesn't, we've got a problem. So Jesus has set this up nicely, hasn't he? By saying first to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. The scribes now are questioning, is he a blasphemer? Jesus calls them on it. And then Jesus says this, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now notice the next statement, he said to the paralytic. Now, you can go either direction on this, but I think the best way to understand that is that he was saying to the scribes, why are you thinking this in your hearts? But then he turns and he looks at the paralytic and he says to the paralytic, I want you to know something. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's why I'm telling you to pick up your bed and walk. And what Jesus has created in the room is an opportunity for people Than to grapple with, is he just a guy sitting at the table? Or is he the Son of Man who has authority to forgive sins? Again, all our lives we've heard that God forgives sins, but has it made an impact? Is that a power we live within? Is it a freedom that we enjoy? Now again, if we, were, if we were well-trained Jews, well-versed in the book of Daniel, when Jesus said, the Son of Man has authority to on earth to forgive sins, again, our heads would have snapped like, whoa, wait a second. And here's why. When Daniel envisions the Messiah, the Christ to come, he calls him the Son of Man, who has been given authority on earth. Uh, If you turn back one page in your Bible to the very first verse of chapter 1 of Mark, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how does Mark identify him? The son of God. But here in chapter number 2, Jesus calls himself the son of man. And we're not going to take the time with it now, but we are going to be taking time with this to understand that the way we mostly think about it is wrong. We think about the Son of God as being a claim to deity, and we think about the Son of Man as being a claim to humanity. It's actually the opposite. Because when Jesus says the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, what he is saying is that the long-awaited Messiah... The Christ that Daniel envisioned has come to earth and when he comes to earth, he not only can make paralytics walk, but he brings with him the power of forgiveness and the authority of forgiveness. Now if in the next moment the paralytic doesn't get up and walk, we have no salvation. It's just a guy at a table. But Mark makes this very clear. In verse 12, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, here's the problem. What do you think they were talking about right there? We never saw anything like this. Most likely they're talking about the miracle. this is one of the things that churches struggle with today, in a consumer-oriented world that demands the church produce worship services that appeal and draw people in and are, have all of the stuff that people tend to go away thinking about the stuff. Now I'm not saying it's wrong to rejoice over the stuff or that the man was healed. healing's important. Healing's important. But what I hope you see today, and what I hope makes a dent into our lives today, is that we never saw anything like this. A man who was willing to set at a table with common, ordinary people. And that man being the Son of the Most High God, the second person of the Trinity, who came to earth to be with sinners so that He might save them From their sins. I hope that will make a dent into our lives today. There will be a time, of course, when Jesus takes up the debate more fully with the religious leaders. But in that crowded room, on that particular day, the guy at the table wanted the paralytic to know that he possessed authority to forgive him of his sins. And he showed him that. By healing him so that the man could take up his bed and walk. And when he does, he gets a double miracle. He not only walks, but he walks out as a forgiven sinner. I mean, what if Jesus today reached down into your life and removed all of the negatives? But you remained in your unbelief and sin? What we all need is a double healing. Oh God, heal me, but oh God, forgive me for all my sins. The guy at the table is the fullness of God in bodily form. And this is really good news for us because Jesus continues to get up close and personal with sinners. And he does so right here in this room through the spirit-empowered church who handles the word of God with authority. And when you open the doors of your house and you have people come in in a small group or a Bible study, whatever it might be, and you sit around your table and you're, and you're talking about the word, Jesus through his spirit and his word is interacting in an up-close and personal way so we can with full confidence right now announce that Jesus can forgive sins. Whatever our sins may be, Jesus has paid it all. And let us turn to him by faith and receive his forgiveness. The kingdom of God in power and present in Capernaum that day, present here among us today. You know, we we don't have to wonder, oh, what would it have been like? But if you want to go up and cut a hole in the roof, fine. But well, we're going to make sure you fix it at your cost. Now, that's not what we're after. We don't have to sit up and think what would it have been like. Because the kingdom of God has arrived. It is present among us. And all we need to do is with zeal and fervor open our lives to us, to our homes and our church to one another, and to people that need to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, then let us pray that people respond and that people crowd into the spaces we've opened up. But I need to send out a warning very quickly from this text. I want to warn us against adopting scribal tendencies. Scribal tendencies. And it's important to be clear on this point. The scribes were not wrong in what they said to Jesus. Only God indeed can forgive sins. But what the scribe missed was that Jesus was backing up the claim he made. And the reason they missed it because they had already assumed who the Messiah might be or what he might be like. And Jesus wasn't fitting the mold. That's a scribal tendency. To say, oh, God can only work this way or God can only work like this. And we take God and we stick him in a little box. You see, the warning is clear. There is a way to exist as a church that misses Jesus altogether. Do you, do, you, I mean, do you actually think that could be true of us? Of the Durkeytown Baptist Church, with all of its rich history, that we could be existing as a church and actually miss Jesus? Yeah, you better believe it. Because scribal tendencies take hold rather quickly and easily in a church. There is a way to live and practice the Christian faith that misses Jesus altogether, no matter how righteous we may appear on the outside. Those scribal tendencies of self-righteousness, harsh judgment, criticism of others, proud, cold, religious professionalism, Well, you we come to a text like this, we'd, rather, we'd really better examine our hearts and see which side of this table are we on? Because the guy at the table is still talking. And he says to his church sometimes, "Hey, I'm on the outside knocking on the door. Would you mind letting me in my church?" You know, this is a weekend of Martin Luther King's birthday. And when I think about Martin Luther King, one of the things I always think about is his well-renowned speech, I have a dream. I have a dream. And the reason is um, because I too am a bit of a dreamer. I dream of a church full of people eager to sit around a table and learn God's word. Brian Herrick and I have been working hard over the last number of weeks, maybe a month, to prepare a teaching series for the church from the book of Colossians for our spring adult quarter. I dream of people sitting around a table, the room full of people eager to learn about the supremacy of Jesus Christ from the book of Colossians. I dream about our houses full, Bible studies, small groups, church vibrantly after the work of God through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit. But that dream then moves out, it moves out into the lostness of this region and I say, oh God, what would it be like for the church to be full, crowded with sinners who have never come to faith in Jesus Christ? Oh, Spirit of God, move. Move in our hearts that we would prepare the spaces and have the places in our own lives as well in our own homes, and our own church, so that sinners would indeed be welcomed. And when they came in, they would be hearing from the guy sitting around the table, opening God's word, teaching them about the forgiveness of sins. Early this morning, I was reminded of a line from a hymn that I pray over often. The line simply is this. Shed through our hearts thy piercing ray, our soul's dull slumber drive away. I pray that like the paralytic, our sins have not only been forgiven, but we are walking in the freedom and power of God's forgiveness so that our soul's dull slumber is continuously driven away. I pray that we grow in our desire to be immersed in the language and the activities of God's kingdom so that we, we confess our ascribal tendencies and by God's grace rid ourselves of them and open our arms to God and his kingdom among us and open our arms one to another, loving one another, caring for one another and loving people on the outside as well. Well, we get to take this matter up again next week. When once again we're going to see the fullness of God in bodily form sitting in a house, having table conversation with real sinners with real sinners. The well-pleased son we talked about last week is still pleasing to the father as he heals a man of his paralysis and announces that sins are forgiven. No wonder people were amazed and glorified God, saying we have never seen anything like this. And I pray that you will see it clearly today. And if you have never come to a personal faith with Jesus, so that your sins are forgiven. Talk to me afterwards. And let me share with you more clearly what does it mean to have sins forgiven. Father, we thank you for your word to us this day. Oh God, we are so, so very, very grateful for it. Thank you for Bibles open and hearts uh, moving towards your word and faith that is being engaged. And oh God, I pray that you would forgive us of our scribal tendencies. Forgive us for focusing on the minors instead of seeing the major thing that you are doing in your kingdom work this day. And now, Lord, we rejoice as we sing that you save, that you, Lord Jesus, save. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkytown, please visit our website at www.durkytown.org.